Church family, would you take God's word and join me in Matthew 5 this morning? Just one verse together. Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. If you see a bunch of people all wearing the same t-shirt this morning, that's our children's camp crew. Make sure you ask one of them, hey, how was, how was camp uh, this past week? Hear from them of what they learned and what the Lord taught. Matthew chapter 5 this morning, verse 19. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Matthew 5, verses 17 and 18, two truths that we saw on that day, two truths about the Old Testament. Remember what Jesus is doing here, still kind of at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, in the latter half of chapter 5, he's going to go and address some particular misunderstandings and misapplications of the law of God, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers. They've been getting some things wrong in their teaching and in their lives. And so what Jesus is going to do in this section of the sermon is essentially say, hey, you've heard it said this way, but I'm saying this to you. And just so nobody misunderstands what Jesus is doing, he says in verse 17, I didn't come to abolish the law. Don't think when you hear me say these things that I'm doing away with the old law and instituting something new. And in those two truths that we saw a couple of weeks ago in verse 17, we saw that all of the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures, particularly, are fulfilled in Christ. They all serve to point to and be fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then secondly, in verse 18, we saw that the law of God, the Word of God, that it is authoritative and it is binding. Heaven and earth may pass away, but the Word of the Lord will not pass away. All of it will be fulfilled, Jesus is telling us. And now, as Jesus has addressed what it is that he thinks about the Old Testament Scriptures, what he thinks about the law of God, as you move into verses 19 and then next week, verse 20, we begin to see that Jesus is addressing how we should think about the law. And and then maybe a little more specifically, Jesus is addressing what he thinks in regards to those who teach his word. In verses 19 and 20, verse 19 in particular, you will see this emphasis kind of mentioned twice about the teaching of the Word of God, as no doubt the scribes and the Pharisees are gathered uh, on the mountainside there to hear from this new teacher. Jesus is going to draw them out. He's going to shine a light upon their hypocrisy and their self-righteousness. He's going to bring to bear that they have mishandled and mistaught and how they have not lived in obedience to the Word of God. And He'll do that particularly at the beginning of this section in verse 19 by mentioning twice what He thinks about those who teach His Word. Verse 19 then serves as a bit of a summary statement, if you will, regarding what it is that Jesus thinks and what He believes about those who teach His Word. So here's my twofold hope for us as we look at verse 19 this morning number one that we would continue church to love God and to love his word and then secondly my hope is this that we as God's people at faith family that we would be deeply committed to faithfulness in how we teach 
and obey God's Word and how we then call others to do the same. Look at the text with me. Start in verse 17 just to read the context here. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me make two observations. Verse 19 this morning. Number one, the first half of verse 19, I want us to see together the danger of unfaithfulness to God's Word. The danger of unfaithfulness, of being unfaithful both in what we say about God's Word and how we live out God's Word. The danger of unfaithfulness. Look back at the beginning of verse 19. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then. Jesus transitions at the beginning of verse 19 reminding us of what He has previously said in verses 17 and 18. So essentially Jesus says since in verse 17 God's law is not abolished by Christ, but fulfilled in Christ. And since then, in verse 18, God's Word is authoritative and binding. Verse 19, whoever then annuls one of the least of these and teaches others to do the same, that person will be considered least in the kingdom of heaven. That word annuls there in verse 19. It's very similar to the word back in verse 17, which there is the word abolish. In fact, the word abolish in verse 17 is just a different form of the root word being used here in verse 19. A a small, simple, yet powerful word. Ideas and connotations and implications are many for us when we consider the danger of abolishing or annulling even the least of any of the commandments of God's Word. Very similarly to the meaning of abolish in verse 17, the word annul in verse 19 means to destroy. It means to do away with. It means to get rid of. It means to unloose or to unhitch. And so we, maybe even a couple of weeks ago, you remember there was an example of one who has said that we should, in fact, unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Jesus is stating clearly in verse 17, verse 19, that is absolutely not on the table for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Unhitching, unloosing, cutting away from, being separate from any of the Word of God that is not acceptable for us here. So then, there's this clear mandate to not abolish, to not annul. Even, Jesus says in verse 19, the least of one of the commandments. What does Jesus mean when He says the least 
of these commandments. This is definitely language that the Pharisees and scribes, they they would have understood that when they heard Jesus mention least of the commandments because what they had done over the years is that they had divided the law of God into two, essentially two categories. Category one were like the minor uh, the minor uh, issues of the law, the minor laws, and then on this other hand were the, the major laws. So you, you can think maybe what those would be over here would be you know, something like the, the tithing of your spices. Jesus will reference that later in Matthew. And then maybe over here in the weightier category would be something like murder. And they then would sit around and just debate among themselves which one was really a a lesser command, which one was a a, a greater command. So this is language they would have understood. But there's also a sense where Jesus places more weight on some laws than others. Just think about the moment in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus is pronouncing all of these woes upon the Pharisees because of their hypocrisy. And he says this, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Jesus understands that there are some commands of God, some laws of God that are weightier than others. They have weightier effect. They have weightier consequences if they are broken or disobeyed. And while there may be some aspects of the law that are weightier than others, verse 19 clearly lays out clearly lays out that Jesus intends for His followers to neglect none of God's law. And so what this then means for us is that we don't get to look at the law of God, the totality of the Word of God, and say, you know what? I don't really want to do that, so I'm going to untie, unhitch, sever myself from that, and live my life however I want to live my life. In verse 17, I didn't come to abolish the law. And so in verse 19, my followers must not annul any of it. We are to see it as the authoritative, the binding, the eternal Word of God. And so then, believer, Christian, hear me, we do not get the right to say, I just don't want to do that. I don't feel like it today. I think I'll just untie myself, unhitch myself from these parts that are maybe hard or detestable. They don't go down nice and smooth and easy. And I'll just do something in its place like love and be kind and be nice. And we'll let that be the tenor of the day. There's no part of God's Word that is negotiable for us, church. We're bound to it. Because it is, in its very nature, in its very essence, it is the authoritative and binding eternal Word of God. Notice that there's a warning in verse 19. There's a warning about those who would not keep God's law and that they would teach others, hey, it's okay. It's okay to unhitch yourself. It's okay to neglect 
whatever parts of this you don't like. Notice what Jesus says in verse 19. Whoever annuls, it's in and of himself, one of the least of the commandments. And then watch this, and teaches others to do the same. Whoever annuls, and then stands before God's people and teaches men, women, boys, and girls, hey, it's, it's okay. It's okay. We don't have to believe exactly what that says. We don't have to do exactly what that says. Notice the warning here. Those who preach or teach God's Word must do so with a full conviction that God's Word cannot be abolished or annulled. This is from the pulpit down to the Sunday school room, to the Bible study. Those who preach or teach God's Word must do so with a full conviction that God's Word is authoritative and binding. They must teach in such a way that declares God's Word not as a book of suggestions, but as God's will to man. Teachers of the Word of God must teach then in agreement with and never contrary to the clear Word of God. Teachers must exercise great care to live their own lives as under the authority of Scripture and not on their own authority, knowing that their lives are being watched, mimicked by those they teach. Verse 19 calls teachers of the Word of God to not teach others to annul any part of God's Word. Their lives and their teaching evidence a respect and an honor for this holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, eternal Word of God. What's the danger if they don't? Verse 19, whoever annuls teaches others to do the same. Here's the danger. Shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven shall be called least. Notice, I want you to first see though, before we think about the danger, I, I do want you to notice that there's, there is grace in this statement. Such persons who are followers of Christ, notice that they're, they're still in the kingdom of heaven. There's grace here. They've not been cast out. And look, look, we all say thank you to God for this because how many of us perfectly keep the law of God? None of us. How many of us in every single moment of teaching or preaching have absolutely nailed every jot and tittle perfectly? None of us. So, so we are so thankful that there is grace for those who preach and teach for all of God's people in this. So they've not been cast out. But for those who make a regular pattern and practice of uh, abolishing, annulling, Skipping over, saying, oh, that's not what God really meant. That's not what God really said. Teaching others to do the same. Notice the warning. They are considered least in the kingdom of heaven. They've been lax with their own obedience to God's Word. They've taught others to be lax. Their lives and their teaching have not esteemed rightly God's Word. And so they are least 
in the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be least in the kingdom of heaven? The issue here seems to be that. An issue of honor and reward. Scripture, you recall, it speaks of uh, of various crowns which the faithful stewards and servants of God, the saints, will receive. Maybe you recall a place like 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11-15, through 15, where it speaks of the judgment of our works and the reward of our works for those who are unfaithful with God's Word. They play fast and loose with it. They dip their toe into the waters of sin. They tell others essentially that it's okay for them to do the same they will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. There will not be honor. There will not be reward. I wonder, would they hear, well done, good and faithful servant? They'll be considered least because one should not expect to be great in God's sight if His Word be not great in theirs. Beloved, do you honor and revere the Word of God to such a degree that you seek to live out the call of God. That you seek to conform your life, your thoughts, your habits, everything about you to the patterns that God has laid out for us in His Word. When you teach God's Word, Are you coming to it as the pure milk of the Word of God? Are you coming to it as life-sustaining sustenance for the people that you're teaching? Do you instruct them with clarity and boldness, calling them to see the truth, to apply the Word to their hearts? Are you being faithful as servants and stewards? Is Scripture your authority? And church, just as a brief aside, everything that we're dealing with in culture right now, everything that you're hearing on the news, that you're seeing, all the madness that is so crazy to you right now, do not be fooled. It is about one thing and one thing only. It is about whether or not we believe that Scripture is our authority. That's the issue. And church, if nothing else, just hear me say, And purpose it so in your hearts that the Word of God is and will be the final authoritative binding Word in your life. And that if God be so gracious that ever comes from this sacred pulpit. Is Scripture authoritative and binding upon your life? Second observation. Not only is there a danger, second half of verse 19, there's a blessing of faithfulness to God's Word. There's a danger of being unfaithful. Secondly, there is a blessing of faithfulness. Latter half of verse 19. But, whoever keeps and teaches them the Word of God, the commandments of God, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Notice the dual reality here. Whoever keeps and teaches not merely enough to stand and proclaim the Word of God, to call other people to obedience. It's not merely enough to be a great teacher of 
God's Word and be able to direct the hearts of others if your heart is not also first being directed by the Word of God. So then whoever keeps, whoever teaches, and teachers of God's Word, let me just remind you, James chapter 3, verse 1, there is a stricter judgment we recall for those who teach God's Word. So it matters, teachers, preachers. It matters that you keep and teach God's Word. It matters that you are a doer of the Word of God and that you call others to do the same. And so if you are one who has opportunity to teach or to preach God's Word, fight for holiness in your life. Fight for holiness. Daily die to self. Yield your authority or whatever authority you think you have. Yield it to the authority of Scripture. The singular reason why so many men fall out of pastoral ministry, it is due to a lack of character that fights for holiness. To keep God's law. And if that means that they then call us fundamentalists or whatever it is that they want to call us, fine. Fantastic. Just keep God's law. Fight for it. Daily die to self. Fight to teach the truth of God's Word, especially in a culture that increasingly hates God's Word. Teach it anyway. Be the prophet of old, thus saith the Lord. And if they stone us in the streets, then they stone us in the streets. But teach the Word of God. Uphold all of the Bible as sacred Scripture. Show how law and grace mesh together. Teach the Bible as one glorious story that culminates in Christ. And explain that God has a way that He calls His people to live. What's the blessing? He will be great in the kingdom of heaven. Much honor, it seems. Much reward, it seems. The approbation of Matthew 25, verse 23, is surely yours when Jesus says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Charles Spurgeon said, Not birth, knowledge, or success will make a man great, but humble and precise obedience both in word and deed. Faithful teaching of and obedience to God's Word is the mark of greatness. It doesn't matter how big your platform. It it doesn't matter how many people hear your voice. It, It doesn't matter how many followers on social media. It doesn't matter how much notoriety or money you gain in this life. If you have a disrespect and a disregard for the Word of God so that you do not keep it and teach it, you are not and will never be great in God's sight. Greatness, according to God's economy, 
is just faithfulness. Guys, faithfulness in small, unseen things is better. It's better than whatever the world calls greatness. And so, just fight for holiness. If nobody sees you, if your name never gets written in the annals of history, so be it. Preach and teach God's Word, and if history forgets your name, so be it. You are great in the kingdom of heaven. Because what God sees, what God knows, and what God thinks about you and I is better than whatever applause we might get from the world. Church, I'm convinced. I'm convinced. And I look, I'm, I'm sure others throughout the ages have said very similar things, but I really am convinced that in our current day, in this current moment, what we so desperately need are faithful women, faithful men who will show up who will live out the Gospel, who will teach others to do the same. And church, I'm convinced that if we do that, just small steps of faithfulness all the way to glory, I'm convinced that if we do that, we change the world around us. We don't, we don't change it by legislating it. We change it by living out and proclaiming the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I can, I want to make a particular point of application to us, for us, about how we might do this in the weeks to come. As we move toward August, and as we move toward the beginning of the new school year, I am delighted, I am excited, I am anticipating how the Lord is going to use us more and more and more to live out the gospel and to call others to do the same. And so particularly, here is what is in mind and what I want to communicate to you this morning. There'll be some details on the screen for you to follow along. Beginning August 16th. After school has started back, our Wednesday night ministry is going to have a different shape to it here at Faith Family. Our uh, Wednesday night men's and women's small groups that we love and enjoy so much, those aren't going away, all right? They're just shifting to a different time slot on the calendar. Plans are already well in place for these things to happen. But beginning on Wednesday, August the 16th, there is going to be a pointed, particular, all-hands-on-deck approach to children's and youth ministries in the life of our church. And so here's what that's going to begin to look like, and here are some of the needs that, um, that we're going to have. There are three areas of service, and I am pretty convinced that every single person in this room can find themselves in one of these areas and be a part of serving the kingdom. Number one, on Wednesday nights, 
we're going to initiate a, a meal. Uh, and here's how, here, this will look like a meal for all of our children and teenagers and for all those volunteers that will be serving in our ministry on Wednesday night. We anticipate somewhere around 120 people. We need a kitchen team to feed these people every single Wednesday night. That team's going to look like every week about six people preparing the meal. Okay, We've got somebody that will help set menu and gather supplies. We do need someone who can say, I'm here on Wednesdays and I will help be you know, kind of a, a point person in the kitchen on Wednesday nights. Maybe teaching children is not your thing. Running around the gym with children is not your thing anymore. What about cooking? I, I think there are a great many of us who can be a part of that. Here's a second need that we have. A second need is going to be a recreation team for our children on Wednesday nights. We want that to be fun. Listen, um, church ought to be fun. All right, It just should. Like that, that's not the great goal, by the way. But along the way, it ought to be a happy place. And we want kids to enjoy that. Um, here's what we need. We need a rec team. This is about four people every week. The kitchen team, the rec team, these can be on a rotating basis. You, 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 know, you don't have to say, you know, I'm there every Wednesday until the Lord Jesus returns. All right, You can rotate on this some. But we do need four people, rec team, every week. They're going to help clean up after the meal and reset the gym. And then, man, you're just going to play with kids. It's like, the, it's like easier than getting out of bed in the morning. All right? Like playing with kids, having a good time. I do need, we do need somebody to run point as a recreation kind of head on Wednesday nights. And then thirdly, here's what's really going to make Wednesday nights tick. We need a lot of small group leaders. We need small group leaders who will not rotate. You will commit to your small group throughout the 2023-2024 school year. All right, So from August to May. And with our children's ministry, we need 20 small group leaders. You will meet with the same small group, five to seven kids, every Wednesday night. We're going to be working through a curriculum this coming year on the promises of God. 40 weeks on the promises of God. And you get the opportunity to sit down with young hearts and every single week point them to the faithfulness and the goodness of God. There is no age limit on this, by the way. We need you doing this. If small groups don't happen, Wednesday nights don't happen. That's how essential this is. I need 20 of you to say, in children's ministry, I'm there. I need probably a few more of you to say, I don't know if I can quite commit to every week, but I commit to be a sub, and we'll need a lot of those as the year goes along. On top of this, Matthew's desire is that with the youth ministry on Wednesday nights, that a same small group model is also implemented. Matthew needs 10 more small group leaders in the youth ministry. Maybe six-year-olds aren't quite your your strength, but maybe 16-year-olds are. We need 10 of you, and maybe even two or three extra to say, hey, I'll be on standby, but we need 10 of you to say, I will commit to being a small group leader with our student ministry in the coming weeks and months. Listen, I know I'm throwing a lot of information at you, all right, and and I know that uh, for some of you, some of you have heard tell of this, you've heard some chatter of this. 
but for many of you, this is a new kind of idea, a new approach to our ministries on uh, this coming school year. Here's what I want you to do. Will you pray? Start today praying about where God intends for you to serve, okay? Is, has God gifted you with the ability to serve, to pour out your life, to teach God's Word? We have, a, we have a spot for you. And we so desperately need you, church family. All right, from the, the youngest adult in the room to the oldest, we need you. So pray and then sign up. Sign, there are sheets on the tables on your way out. You can sign up for the kitchen team. Sign up for the rec team. Sign up to be a small group leader. As we get to the very end of July, there will be a large volunteer meeting. I think that's July 25th on Wednesday night. We'll confirm those dates and get those out to you. But we need you over these next two or three weeks to be signing up for these things. You've probably got a thousand questions. Come see me. Uh, pull Matthew aside. Uh, ask one of us if you need some help in kind of thinking your way through this. Thanks for letting me take a little extra time here to kind of drive home this point, a little, little pointed application for us this morning. Thank you for committing to pray. Thank you in advance for serving in this. I'm so thankful that as we do this and as we pour ourselves into young hearts in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, church, I'm convinced that we will help our children and students be light in the darkness. But we really do need you to be a part of that. Hey, let's pray and then we'll continue to worship this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your word God, that calls us to obedience, it calls us to holiness, it calls us to service, to teaching others. God, to honor, to revere, to know Your Word, to have it seen as their authority. God, show us by Your Spirit how we personally need to respond. Are there areas of our life that are we've, we've been flippant and we've been sinful? Father, are there areas of our life where we maybe we would never say it, but God, maybe we have functionally disconnected ourselves from Your Word. God, if that be the case, draw us back to obedience and give us such a passionate fervor for Your Word to live it out, to know it, and to make it known. God, You're good and we thank You. Help us to respond appropriately, appropriately now in Christ's name. Amen. Church, would you stand?